0: Hello, I am Vulture Senior Editor, Jesse David Fox, and welcome to another episode of Good One, a podcast about jokes. It's actually just not another episode, it's the season finale. Yay! Whether this is the first episode you're listening to, or you listen every week, I just want to say thank you. Especially this season, I've been getting really surprisingly kind feedback from comedians, comedy fans, and fans of just hearing how artists make their art, and it embiggens my little podcasting heart. You record these things mostly in small rooms with no one around, so it really helps you remember why you're doing it when you hear that it's connected to those outside this quiet space with headphones and microphones. Since it's a season finale, I thought I should have a special guest, and I I think I do. It is comedian Pete Holmes. Besides being the co-creator and star of Crashing, and one of my absolute favorite stand-ups, this podcast probably wouldn't exist without Pete. Of course, longtime listeners know Crashing Season 1 sponsored the first season of Good One, but it's more than that. I seriously learned so much about how comedians talk and think about comedy from listening to his podcast, You Made It Weird. I also learned a lot about how they talk and think about God, but that's a separate matter. Though, it's not really when you listen to the joke we're talking about this episode, the humbly titled Green Eggs and Ham from his 2016 special, Faces and Sounds. At first, it might seem like another joke about a funny thing that happened traveling, but that's a bit of the point. It's about finding more in those moments. As we talked about in the interview, Pete used to have a joke about how this is the only dimension in which he is not a youth pastor. However, as his comedy evolved, with jokes like this, he essentially became just that. And that's it. The last intro of the season is almost over. Can you believe it? Yeah, I can too. Here is Pete Holmes a joking, then Pete Holmes a talking to me. Enjoy. See you in season three.
1: I think joy is hiding everywhere. You just have to look for it. Like, I've told this story before, but whenever I fly, I fly in a t-shirt that I don't care about. Because I don't know why, but when I fly, I always get very sweaty. I get picked up. I got pit stains. I'm glistening. My friends are like, have you been jogging? I'm like, no. Just sitting still in the sky. Do you have any Gatorade? So I always fly in a t-shirt that I don't care about. Now I've been given the shirt twice as a gift. It's a shirt that says, Dr. Seuss, Green Eggs and Ham. Just looks like the cover of the book. Twice, from two different people, on two different occasions. The first time I opened it up, I was like, oh, cool. But in my mind, I was like, fuck this shit. I get it, I'm like a childish man, but no. Just no. Second time a week later another person who didn't know of the first person gave it to me I unwrapped it It was like God himself being like put on the fucking shirt This is how the world sees you I gave you that goof goof face Wear the uniform So I wear it But I only wear it when I fly Now here's the story It's like 7 a.m. at LAX, Los Angeles Airport. I'm going through security. I'm a little grumpy. People are typically grumpy when they're going through security at 7 a.m. Going through that machine that's killing us all. Taking naked Avatar Planet pictures of our dicks and our pusses. So I'm grumpy. And this is what put me in an unexpected good mood for about two years now. There was a TSA agent in my periphery. I couldn't fully see her. Who was this ambassador of joy? Who was this angel that saw me? Because she put me in a good mood just by going like this. This is what I heard her say. She went, what do you know about green eggs and ham? How can you be sad when that exists? That happened. Not in the comedy club. There was no drink minimum. There was no cover. Just a woman killing it in the wild. What you know about green eggs and ham? And I forgot I was wearing the shirt. I thought it was a security question. I'm like, who are green eggs? What is ham? I don't know. Al-Qaeda! That always makes me happy. I want that in my wedding vows. I want to be like, to have and to hold. And what you know about green eggs and ham? And if she doesn't laugh, she's not the one. I'm going to do a 360 and walk out. That's right, through her. Don't math check my jokes. Don't math check my jokes. I will T-1000 all the way through her. The suit was liquid metal as well. That is joy. You have this for the rest of your life. Keep it in a pill behind your molars if you ever need it. Like if it's the holiday season and you're looking for parking at a Target for like 45 minutes because you volunteered to get ice because you needed a break from your family. <laughs> and you're looking and you're looping and you're looping and finally you see someone leaving a spot. You stop, you signal, you do everything correct. That spot is yours. But then at the last second, someone else swoops in and steals that spot. You have a choice to make. You can get mad. Just be like, ah, cock, butter, bitch! I don't know how to be mad. (laughs) Cock butter! Cock butter! If you're not laughing, you're not picturing a fully grown naked man, but instead of an erection, he has a yellow stick of butter. It's coming for you. And he's trying to get it in there, but it's warm so it keeps melting. (laughs) That is a new way to say you've lost your erection. Just like, sorry, baby. It is Land of lakes down there. <laughs> I can't believe it's not an erection.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you can get mad. And if you want to get mad, go ahead, get mad. I'm not saying don't get mad. I am saying, though, that happy people don't steal parking spots. Miserable people steal parking spots, so that person is already miserable. So maybe you're just affecting your own reality. So why not confuse? They steal the spot, calmly roll down your window, 1973-style gesture for them to roll down their window. And when you lock on eye contact, and I really mean looking deep into their soul, like a college freshman playing Hey There Delilah on the acoustic, just... When you locked on that secure connection, just be like, what you know about green eggs and ham?" And do joy donuts for 45 minutes. It's like, what you could you on a boat? <laughs> I guarantee when you're done laughing, more parking will open up. That's a promise. I think those little joy moments are hiding everywhere. Like recently I was in line at Starbucks. I don't drink coffee, I run on anxiety but I'm a grown man and I wanted a cookie. And there were three businessmen in front of me. This was about nine in the morning and we're waiting. It's at an airport, I travel a lot. And the woman behind the counter was trying to say, can I help who's next? Pretty standard. If you're gonna work in the service industry, you're gonna throw out a few, can I help who's next? But I don't know if it was because it was early or she just didn't give a shit, but she was barely trying to speak. So she was just going, just next! I'm not exaggerating that in the least. Just next! Just next! With confidence and authority. She was like, hello, just next! Can I help who's next? Just next! Can I... Get help who's... Next? Next. Snakes! Double
0: snakes!
1: We're all standing there like, what the fuck do you want us to do? Do we go? Double snakes! Do we not go? Double snakes! Double snakes? Are you proclaiming double snakes? It sounded so much like double snakes, no one would have batted a knife. She was like, double snakes! And then reached down like, There were two snakes down there. I did not know how to alert you to the presence of two serpents. Oh, I was flustered. Forgive me. I beg your pardon. Now, might I help who amongst you that is next? Who amongst you is next? You have this now, too. If you're ever in a tight spot, someone's breaking up with you like, God damn it, Diane, it's fucking over. You're Diane in this one. God damn it, Diane. It's fucking over. You have a choice. You can be like, oh, Tony. Tony. It's not going to get Tony back, Diane. Why not just be silly? Just be like, double snakes, and then glide off on one rollerblade. One rollerblade, one baggy, baggy sock that's clearly not yours. Double birds on the way out. Just.
0: Leave with some dignity. I'm here with the the man behind the joke, Mr. Pete Holmes. Hello. Thank you for uh, coming here. Thank you for picking that joke. My pleasure. Yeah, it was kind of a,
1: kind of a, I I won't say a no-brainer. But I was going to say, I miss that joke. I, I miss the feeling I got when I would just be starting, especially the double snakes part, because it's less sophisticated, I suppose. It's just yelling mm-hmm. and faces and noises, and it's what I call like a playground bit. You know the joke is you're going, oh, snacks, and you know you can do that as long as they keep laughing. Yeah. And ideally you want to stop right before they would have
0: decided on their own <laughs> that it's done. <laughs> yeah. So the the joke had its sort of final resting place on your HBO special in 2016, but you, you also did a version of it, uh, two versions of it in 2013, one on the John Oliver stand-up Show, and then also you did on Conan. Yeah. Uh, so let's let's back up to then, or at least before then. Uh, did this happen? Did you? It did happen. So a woman said it, and you got the shirt twice.
1: Yes, all true. <laughs> I there's certain things. It's funny while we were listening to the bit. I, I'll concede that some of the riffs are fake, meaning they're not fake. They're just reheated. Mm-hmm. So, meaning. You improvised it once and now you're doing it again as if you improvise it because it helps the joke. So it's kind of like a concession. But one thing that I'll not do, I, I, can't, I can't say I've never done it, meaning like when I was starting out or something, but I don't really, I don't lie. I don't, yeah. I don't think it's, it's got to be better than I got a t-shirt twice <laughs> for it to be a lie. It just it feels icky. While you're doing it, you feel icky. You're like, I got this shirt twice. Like, is it really worth it? Just say you got it
0: once. <laughs> but I did. I got it twice. And, and I still have both of them. And do you think you need to have it be true for you to be able to tell it? Yeah, so it really, really helps. In fact, that's the difference between
1: how I used to do comedy and Kumail and I started. We were very like this. We were very, uh, not liturgical, <laughs> We were very literary. <laughs> yeah. We were very literary, meaning we wrote like Woody Allen wrote. And we would write. And I wrote like Seinfeld wrote. And, and specifically both of those two people. Mm. Um, and I would write out the routines in Microsoft Word, and there'd be a space, like a blank space for a pause and all these different things. And I'd also transcribe his routines and uh, Steve Martin's routines. And, and it was very, like, mathematical, which is funny because I'm mathematical about nothing else. Yeah. And so was my stuff. I would be like, I plug in the paper shredder, put in the manual, like if it doesn't shred, I'll read it. That's one of my jokes, but it sounds so much like a scientology yeah. joke because that's what I was emulating. And then now, and then, including this joke, you try and find things that you care so much about that you can just, you know, you can trust yourself with them.
0: um, I like to think, like, every comedian has a a version of a spidey sense in terms of, like, a thing that (laughs) triggers that, like, this is something where Joe... Totally. But it it could be different. Some people, even people that you don't think of as angry comedians. Like, when I asked Eugene Merman, he's like, whatever makes me angry? And you're like, you don't think of Eugene Merman as this, like, rageful comedian? It, or some people be like, oh, whatever makes me uncomfortable. I no, think- he's absolutely right. <laughs> anger is the right one.
1: Yeah. You want to go for anger. Anger is a great cue. People are always trying to get rid of anger or um, feelings of discomfort and stuff. And, and ideally, I'd like to have a balance, you know, mm-hmm. not ever be overwhelmed by my emotions. But the truth is they are gifts, especially if you're trying to write or create or even just communicate who you are to your lover. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's nice to get that cue. But for a comedian, you go... I, I'll give you an example, like, I hate when Uber drivers call me. And I think if I was just not a comedian, if I was an architect, I would just, like, kind of live with that. <laughs> and as a comedian, I go, okay, let's dig into that. And you really start to uncover mm-hmm. what is it that you hate about that? And, like, <laughs> and why? Uh I think it's because the app is designed so I don't have to call somebody. I could have called a cab and that if I wanted to have an awkward conversation with somebody <laughs> with with a joke. I also don't yeah. like being I'm sorry. I also don't like being trusted. I feel like they're calling me to see where I'm going to see if it's worth it. And I want to be like it's not that's not that's for not you to it. know. That's not uh, that's not the deal.
0: So with a with a joke like this, which is sort of just like an extraordinary thing happened. Well, but that's long? not even it. Yeah. It's not
1: extraordinary.
0: Yeah. Or I'm sorry to interrupt
1: you, Jesse Fox, but that's what's that's what makes this a bit. I was saying during the joke, I was like, this is a joke teaching myself and reminding us all to pay attention Mm -hmm. that happiness is in the moment. And the story is actually the story of a guy losing that. I was given a shirt. And instead of just kind of enjoying that someone gave me a gift, I'm analyzing the gift. And I'm like, this isn't cool enough for me. It's causing me suffering. You know, I'm, I'm latching to the idea of a cooler me. And then I go through security and I'm unhappy there too. And that's what happens when we get stuck in our brains mm-hmm. and you're trudging through a long, gray, cold line of dying people. You know what I mean? You're just like, ooh. That's what security feels like. And then something wakes you up momentarily. The truth is, I heard this woman go, what do you know about green eggs and ham? And I don't even think I laughed. I think I got on the flight and looked back. And laughed, and that's the gift of comedy. Yeah, is that you? You're challenged and charged to go back over what just happened and go like, I think it's seven fifteen. That woman said, "What you know about Green Eggs and Ham?" And what stood out wasn't that she said it kind of crazy, like a little bit Tracy Morgan. She did kind of like a sass to it, but it was that she was also awake. And worse, I, I, no disrespect to the TSA, worse than going through security, she was. Doing the job. Mm-hmm. It's not a great job of patting other miserable people down. And she wasn't being miserable. So she's like a little beacon and a little reminder yeah. is a better way to put it. She's having fun. She saw my stupid shirt. She didn't think it was a dumb gift. She thought it was cute to be like, what you know about greetings? Hey. So
0: it's you thinking about this woman was starting the wheels turning that it became And it happened probably weeks later that I was
1: like a lot of my a lot of anybody's jokes I think are that way. And then the other thing, we have spidey sense, and then we have um, recurring spidey sense, meaning I don't typically write down something the first time I think of it. I write it down the third time my brain goes like, no, seriously, what you know about Green Eggs and Ham? That was good. Shut up. And then
0: I'll wait two weeks, and then it comes back, and I'm like, must be good. So how much longer until you're bringing it up on stage, and what did you go up on stage with?
1: That's a good question. Uh, I don't think I had... I think I had what you know about Green Eggs and Ham. And I don't think I had like the the stuff that sounds like a riff to me was the shirt stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I was like uh I fly it's like then you're using the audience. You say like I get sweaty when I fly and they laugh and you're like, "Oh. You don't get sweaty when you fly? I get sweaty when I fly." Well, that's kind of funny. Then the next time you go up you're like, "Yeah, that's kind of weird, right?" Like <laughs> it, I think it was Mark Marin. it's like You don't become a comedian to stop people laughing at you. You become a comedian to control how people laugh at you. So they're still laughing at me that I get sweaty on planes. Um, But now I, because I did it with one audience, the next audience, I can be like, weird, right? (laughs) Because I'm just sitting there. I'm just sitting still in the sky. And now I'm using the laugh that was not really against me, but now I'm using it for me. And that sort of stuff starts building itself. You start with the facts. Probably the first time I did it was pretty boring. I, I, I was wearing this shirt. And then I think I remember the time that I said, I forgot I was wearing the shirt. And that's, I think, what makes it a story. Mm-hmm. It, it's barely a story. Yeah. And I love that too. I hate stories. I hate stories that you're like, and I open the cupboard, it's filled with crackers. I had just been, <laughs> what was all that about? Or like, I open the door, it's Rush Limbaugh. Like, who cares? I don't need. Huge events. Yeah. Life doesn't feel like huge events. You don't
0: need the ending to be the ending of a story.
1: That's what I mean. And stories don't have to be stories. Most people think they don't have stories. When a guy, and again, I'm not saying I'm in an alpha position. I'm saying anybody under lights with a microphone, just evolutionary speaking, evolutionarily speaking, is an alpha. Mm-hmm. He's the leader of this pack momentarily. And I like using that power position to say "I'm." we're all in this together. We're all bored at a Starbucks. We're all going through airport security and we're all losing the thread of joy yeah. all the time. Even though I can maintain joy when my podcasts are on stage, it's nice to go up and be like, I lose it all the time. Sometimes this shirt brought me back. Isn't that funny? I didn't want the shirt then it brought me back.
0: Now I'm bringing it to you. Are you writing, at this point, are you writing completely on stage? Are, is our any part? Are you like, let me have the specific phrasing down. Do you write down? What Sometimes. Sort
1: of- I'll give you a good example, uh, I think, is... It's almost to the point now where we'll say something. Val and I were watching infomercials, and I said to her, I was like, you can tell how old the product, how old the target demographic of the product is by how long they take to explain how to buy it on the Internet. And basically, all I was saying was that, like, young products, it's like, go to Xbox.com slash download. It's just that. But if it's like a claw that you used to grab things... <laughs> It's like, okay, find the computer. You know, really, the truth is they say go to www. You know, like they use the if www. Dot. That's the truth of the joke. And then the joke has become, okay, find the laptop. You know, and you go as long, why is the caps lock on? Okay, hit return. Okay, no, return. That's shift, return. Irina, shift. Okay. Uh, so that starts from something I, that's the laziest it can be. You say something, it literally gets a laugh, which is one of the reasons why it's great to be married to someone who's joyful and enjoys comedy like I do.
0: Um, and then I'll write it down. As a person who feeds so much directly off the audience, are you deliberate about how you build a joke in terms of what audience you go to? Do you go to different rooms? Like the example I use, like Roy Wood Jr. is the most extreme example of like, he like goes back and forth in a very deliberate way. Are you right. Are you aware of that? Or is it just sort of like the natural progression of a thing?
1: I don't know. At this stage in my career... <laughs> I, (laughs) I don't, I'm not really crazy about pushing the joke uphill. Yeah. I know there are some people that are in the comedian documentary, the Seinfeld documentary. He talks about like, I don't want to go out Saturday night. They're too juiced up. And then Colin, he, I think he just says, then Colin, um, Colin Quinn set me straight. It was like, you got to see where it works. Every different kind of audience. And whenever I watch that, I'm like, I'm with you, Jerry. Yeah, you're Jerry Seinfeld. You're going to be performing for theaters, for people who love you. Mm-hmm. You don't need to, like, learn how to, like, gunsling anymore. You've done it. <laughs> well done, good yeah. and faithful Seinfeld. You can relax just a little bit. And if you don't – so my version of that is I don't necessarily – like, John Oliver's a real purist. He'll go to the some, like, roadhouse in, in New Jersey because he he loves the sport of it. I'm trying—I'm a little bit more sensitive than that. I, li- I love the nights where I prove to myself that I have grit. It really means a lot to me. Like, if I go up and it's a bad show and I win them over, I don't think you- there's a higher high mm-hmm. for a comedian than everyone's tanking, the crowd's rowdy, and you-, you turn it with your stuff. You don't sell out. You don't do crowd work. You do your act and you win them over. It's, it's kind of the best feeling in the world. But I'm also sensitive in the sense that, like, if I'm doing that joke— I'll give you an example. I did this joke once and it didn't work. And I need to be able to go, uh, it hurts the joke. Yeah. It like dents the armor a little bit. So I'm careful about where I'll try a new joke. Yeah. I need to be able to go like, well, they're wrong. But if you're doing it the first time, I'll do the, I'll do it the first time at UCB. I'll do it the first
0: time at Meltdown or or some uh, friendlier space. Yeah. So I, I guess, what is the thing that you're going like, this is enough where I can do it on television? Because, Oddly enough, you did John Oliver, though it aired a month after Conan, you, you did it essentially a month before Conan. So essentially the joke was, I guess, at a point ready. What At what right. point are you like, this joke is ready enough to do a short version of it? You mean on yeah. on TV? What in your head is the thing that goes, this is...
1: Hmm. I think the factors there are that it's uh, clean, it's not disparaging to any corporation. <laughs> I, I know that's crazy, but I have a joke about Subway that I love, and like it was hard to find a place to do it yeah. on TV. There's no televised version of that joke. Yeah. Subway. They're eating a little too fresh, if you <laughs> ask me. <laughs> um, this joke started to feel very unique to me. Mm-hmm. Instead of just being, like, I hate sarcasm. It's just really not for me. I, it's just too easy. It's like, not <laughs> your phone. Nice phone. Like, that's a joke? That was a good burrito. Like, you just <laughs> ate a bad burrito, and you said it was good, and that's, how is that funny? Like, but everyone's so proud of sarcasm. They're just, like, on their Twitter bios, they're like, sarcasm is just one of the many services I offer. Like, yeah, you're in the way. You're just in the way. So what is the opposite of that is, is a joke where you found joy, mm-hmm. and then you remind everyone that they can find joy. And that's what we're saying. Uh, you're the parking spot example. So you're a target, you're looking for the parking spot. That is kind of, not intentionally, but now looking back, I'm like, that's kind of a Buddhist idea. Meaning you think a parking spot is yours, someone else takes it, and then you suffer. And what this joke is saying is that like what life is has nothing to do with what you think is owed to you. So let it go. Not because it's right or because it's wrong, but because right and wrong are just abstractions anyway. Mm -hmm. And the whole thing is on fire. And it's all written on running water. And just like slip into silliness because that can serve you now. It's not going to make that car disintegrate. So that's what made me go, I think I'm saying something that I want to say to a lot of people.
0: I've heard you talk about David Foster Wallace's Is This Water Commencement Speech? Yeah. And that part, the target part, has a similar message. It's not a thing that you would... It's not like you heard that and be like, oh, I could apply it to this joke. It's just sort of these things are ADU and they come out of you.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I think there is something about... Garbage in, garbage out, and, like, good stuff in, good stuff out. That's why, like, I study a lot of Buddhism. I study a lot of Ram Dass, and I, I read things like David Foster Wallace. And I think that's one of the great secrets is, like, giving your subconscious good, good wood to burn. So, like, when, I, when anybody writes, they're going into, they're flying the kite into the black hole, and they pull it back out. But it, you you have some power over your sub, subconscious. Like, what are you watching? What are you listening mm-hmm. to? And what are you reading are big ones. So I'm pretty sure I had heard David Foster Wallace. I, I'd give you a better scoop and yeah. be like, yeah, that influenced yeah. that. But the truth is it's so much more esoteric than that because yeah. you're going up on stage and you're riffing and then something about the monotony of life comes in and that's what What Is Water Is All About. Um, and then it, it slips through. I, I think that's that's fair.
0: Um so I, I wanted to go through a couple of differences between each one because I think it's an interesting way to think about how you oh, made that's his... fun. so on um, I think so John Oliver to Conan, even though a month different um you start by uh you have this whole thing about you know I'm here to do my edgy material, like how the t s a are a bunch of grumpies, and yeah. then you create this guy Gary, and how he's the one exception, and you're like, well, this day I got a Gary.
1: you see what that is That's like, ah, that's interesting. <laughs> I would call that throat clearing that's so a... <laughs>
0: But then you don't have any of that stuff. You immediately go, like, I was in a bad mood when I was at the TA, and then this thing happened. Yeah, that's valid. I mean,
1: meaning, I understand the me that was like, I had a Gary. It it kind of plants that itch in the audience, like, be a Gary. Yeah. You know what I mean? Be the guy directing traffic that makes it a dance. You know what I'm saying?
0: Do you have a sense of why you would take it out,
1: though? Uh, Probably because these things are sort of at the, what's the word? Mercy of your subconscious. You're doing it over and over and over and certain things fall away. You kind of want to get to that. You want to get to the chorus. Mm -hmm. It's like Tom Petty. Don't bore us. Get to the chorus. That's a little bit of a a pre-chorus that isn't necessary. And it's not like it's hilarious. I like that I did it. Um, TSA's is a bunch of grump grumps. These are basically, when you're doing a new joke, there are all these things that you rely on that save bad or weaker premises. One of them being, I'm going to talk about how the TSA are grumpy. Okay, when, whatever I'm talking about, I can make a joke about how it's not exactly cutting-edge bad boy humor. <laughs> yeah, And I've probably done that same sort of thing. If I'm working on my unicorn joke, I can be like, yeah, I know. I'm doing more of my cutting-edge bad boy humor just because I need a laugh there because mm-hmm. they might be getting nervous that it hasn't been funny in, this, <laughs> in a while. And that'll, that'll just put a little bit more wind under my wings to yeah. get to what you know about green thick.
0: Right. The, other, the other main difference is, you know, the, the sort of the end of the joke on John Oliver is, which is weird because she was Korean. Uh huh. And then you're like, just kidding. She was a sassy black woman. Exactly. As exactly you you, you racist. You racist. Yeah. And then obviously on Conan, you do mention, like, oh, she sounded like Tracy Morgan. And yeah. then in the final version, you don't acknowledge the voice at all. See, I forgot this.
1: I mentioned that while you were playing it, I was like, somebody told me this joke was racist. It's actually my brother. <laughs> and um, the story is true. It was a sassy black woman. She did kind of say it in a, a, like a, an exaggerated voice for humor herself. It's not like she talks like trash She was giving it a little flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would do that on stage. And then uh, my brother was like, has anyone ever told you that joke's racist? I don't think it is racist. I do think... You know, the racist part would come if you were like, every black woman sounds like this. I'm telling a story of a woman who sounded like that. And, yeah, part of the humor is that it's like, probably if you listen to John Oliver, I'm going like, what you know about? Like bigger. yeah. So then I was like, oh, man. And this is one of the times you have to kind of like consider, even though I don't think it's racist. I sure don't want anyone distracted. It's not even about protecting me. That's part of it. I don't want anyone distracted going, is this racist? Because maybe it does make people uncomfortable. So let's not do it as much. So the voice becomes more and more regular. Regular, excuse <laughs> me, more and more like my own. Yes. You know what I mean? Less yes. affected. That's what I mean by regular. But even while I was listening to the HBO version of it, I was like, that, that is me going, don't do too exaggerated or too much of an impression in the voice. Just say it, because it's funny enough on its own. And that was like me learning that it might be uh, testy to people and also that it's funny without it.
0: Was Hey There, Delilah always the song of the college college freshman? freshman? That's great.
1: I love (laughs) that you picked that up. So talk about jokes having pieces. Um, A college freshman playing Hey There, Delilah on the acoustic is is a, a memory I have of being in college. It wasn't "Hey There, Delilah." It was like "Satellite," by Dave Matthews. <laughs> mm-hmm. But then "Hey There, Delilah" comes out, and you're like, "That is the ultimate, like, uh, what is it called? Like, student, what is it called?
0: Like a coffee, like shop? a common uh, area, yeah, yeah,
1: a common area with the bad couches yeah, yeah, that yeah, you yeah. might sit and play because you student you, union, yeah, student union song, <laughs> and and there's something about the unbreaking eye contact of the guy with the acoustic guitar in college. So whenever I had a joke that had eye contact in it, I would try that. Mm-hmm. So I had a joke about milk and how milk is gross, which is funny because I don't drink milk now, but I did at the time, but I had a joke about how milk was gross. Because it, it it's weird. Yes. And I was like talking about how I spilled a glass of milk in my couch, and, or my roommate did, and they went into the couch, and now every time I sit on it, I think about a cow clopping in and hoisting one hoof up and milking itself straight into the cushions. That's funny. And then I go, with unbreaking eye contact, like a college freshman playing "Hey There, Delilah" on the acoustic, just looking through you. So, and that made it so much funnier. I was like, "That's that's just like mm-hmm. a great little joke." So, the milk joke, which I think you can hear on like the Nerdist podcast, it's like existed other places. Yeah. It's never really made it anywhere. It's good. It's not great. It's one of those jokes that every time I'm doing a new hour, I start doing milk again, just because I'm like, they probably haven't heard this one. Um, but that the best part of milk got kind of <laughs> removed and yeah. transplanted to another joke that didn't even need it. And now you're really banging on all cylinders where you're helping a joke that was already doing great. So that that was an addition, a later addition.
0: So so three years pass, now the joke doubles in size, even though essentially having the same beats of yeah. the story. Yeah. Um you talked about a little bit, but like this final version, how if you saw you doing this joke five days earlier preparing for the set, is it going to sound almost exactly the same? A little bit different. I was noticing,
1: like, if if we played it again, I could tell you what was a riff. Um, let me see if I can remember one. There was something in Double Snakes where I was like, I don't think I've said, for example, in Double Snakes, um, who amongst you is next. Like, that exact yeah. phrasing. I I said something like that, but, like, Some of those things would be different. And I remember feeling very fortunate that at my special taping, I was feeling it because there were some things like Val and I would even say after the show, like that was better than it normally is, which we're like, thank God. Like usually a Thursday through Sunday, one of the shows would be the magic show Mm -hmm. where you're just kind of like, you're in the jokes, you're remembering why they're funny and you're adding stuff, but you're also really clearly articulating the setups and stuff. And that just happened to be the, the first taping. There were two tapings. The first, I kind of got them all, and the second was very playful. So the jokes were changing a lot. I'll, I'll tell you, actually, what happened was I did the joke on John Oliver. I did the joke on my second Conan, I think.
0: No, it's your second, oh, it was panel. second panel Conan, or it was your first panel. panel Conan, yeah.
1: That's right. And, um, and then I, I retired it because my brother said it was racist. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just so <laughs> worried about yeah. pleasing people. It's not even, like, necessarily the hot topic of racism, which is a hot topic and something we should all be sensitive, especially as a straight white male. You should be sensitive to these things. But just as a general rule, I want people to be pleased and tickled by what I'm doing, not like, huh. So I just put it away. I would do it on the road sometimes, but I was just kind of like, I don't think I'm going to do that joke on my hour. And then I was in Montreal, and Robbie Prah was backstage with me, and I he he's the guy who books it or runs it or something. He's important. <laughs> sure. And uh Robbie was like, Are you gonna do green eggs in him? And I was like, Ah, you know, I did it on Conan, it's kinda it's kinda done. I probably even was like, My brother said it's racist. <laughs> and he was like, That's like your signature bit. And at, so now I'm like, okay. So there's another, another group emerges, people that love that joke, who will be tickled by it, who want to hear it. He was really making that case. He was like, mm-hmm. that is, when I mention you, people say, what you know about Green XM? I'm like, okay. And then I started trying it by softening the voice, or, or whatever you want to call it, to the voice, making it more like my own voice. And then I was like, oh. And then it became like, what the fuck was I thinking? <laughs> Stupid brother. I love my brother. I, I I even know what he meant, and yes. and he was right to kind of because it even if it, it,
0: regardless of if whatever the correct answer or wrong answer, if it's racist, if any, you don't want them stopping a moment to think of it's racist.
1: That's literally like the most utilitarian way we can look at it, which we can is just is it slowing down the fun? Yeah, and it is, and you know if we step outside of the joke, now we're outside of the club and we're looking at the act as an afterthought. You can also consider, is it is it insensitive or something? And maybe it is. I I, I hope it isn't anymore.
0: Um, So uh, an interesting change throughout all of them. On John Oliver, you imply this happened to you on your flight to John Oliver. Mm-hmm. On Conan, uh, you say this traveling to New York, traveling to New York recently. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting, which is you <laughs> literally on your special say, you've told this story before. Yeah. Which, and, and then you imply it happened two years ago. It's interesting that you— That was a guess. Yeah, but yeah. it's interesting that there's no sort of comedian math to this joke, that you're just transparent, like, this did not happen.
1: Yeah, that's a new thing, man. I'm, I'm really proud of my class of comedians, yeah. and that includes people that are older than me and younger than me. We've all just kind of gotten wise to the idea. What's essential? Which lies are essential? Um, you know, saying, uh, I forget, it would be butter dick, bitch— Butter, cock butter, butter bitch. Uh, and then kind of recreating, like, oh, whoops, I said cock butter. (laughs) Uh, and then having fun with that. Okay, that's in service of a good time. Mm -hmm. That helps the show. Does it help to say, I, uh, this happened on the flight in? Now I would say audiences are so savvy and consume so much content that it actually takes away from it. Yeah. It used to be, you know, troubadour days. Bob Hope, of course it happened on the flight there. I remember seeing, um, what's the guy in the Blue Collar Tour? uh, Ron White? Ron White, yes. I saw Ron White, and he was on stage, and he did this thing about flying a tiny plane uh, from, I remember his opening. It's a great bit. He goes, my travel agent booked me on a flight from Milwaukee because he doesn't own a map. (laughs) because we're in Chicago. Great joke. And then he tells the story about being on a, a plane the size of a pack of gum and all this stuff. Great joke. Um, as I was laughing, I was like, that's interesting, because I'm sure that's not true, and it didn't matter. This That was 10 years ago. Now I think you would say, this happened years ago. Yeah. It doesn't matter. And, and, in fact, it helps. They want to know you're not going to take advantage of the trust they're yes. giving you in any way that might embarrass them or make them look stupid or yeah. something. Now they want to look, we all want to look intelligent and cool. So you're just kind of like, you know, somebody go like, uh, I just went through a breakup four years ago.
0: You know, that's yeah. like a
1: very modern joke. Yeah,
0: I remember a joke. Very, like, it may have been 2009, 2010, seeing Hannibal go two weeks ago, or two weeks ago is when I wrote this joke, or whatever. Right. And I was like, oh, I guess, and then since then now, it is a thing that it's interesting, even on yourself, to see your own evolution of being like, oh, I don't do this anymore. Right. So, my favorite part is you bring up that you, you're going to add it to your wedding vows. And then, obviously, if she doesn't laugh, you'll do 360. Yeah, walk, through, walk her. through her. Don't math check my joke, which is already one sort of like meta you're doing comedy. But then to do I'll T1000 through her. Yes, my, okay. my suit is liquid metal too, which yes. is sort of two. Yes. Are you sort of. <laughs> that is a joke for like i assume mostly nerds like me who really like it were like oh yes yeah, but yeah, yeah. are you careful about how many of those are in it is it the the it? crowd will tell you
1: they'll <laughs> tell you when there's too many yeah and and there's a certain talk about breeze under you if you're enjoying it i'm th- how, how old are you
0: 32
1: 32 okay so that's good i'm 38 and we're still laughing at t 1000 that's good yeah i kind of i wanted to write a joke about how why do my references still work It's because nothing's dethroned Star Wars. You know what I mean? Nothing's dethroned The Terminator. I I think
0: it's also we're both of an era of The Simpsons of, you get it anyway. I mean, like... Did you say The Simpsons? Yeah, yeah. Totally. Or I I know The Simpsons before I know The Thing. In fact,
1: I'm not just saying this. When I think about that, I think of Homer walking through... There's a thing where he's chasing Flanders. Yeah. And he walks through something like the T-1000. I think of that almost before I think of Terminator 2. The Simpsons, you could have a whole podcast... Where you play somebody's joke and you go, how did the Simpsons <laughs> influence this?
0: Um, <laughs> so the biggest difference sort of structurally to the first part is you say sort of green eggs and ham a few times and then you have a big digression, or yeah. a couple. Is that, do you think that's your sort of instinct being like, let's see how long we could build before I we- think so.
1: I think that's why you include things like you volunteered to get ice because you're tired of your family. That doesn't really help the story. I like that moment yeah, because it's solidarity. It's saying like, we all suffer with our parents. So it's a good joke, but it's not essential. And if, if the joke was better to get to green eggs and ham faster, I would lose it. So you keep those things in yeah. just to stagger step it a little bit. We're going to slow down the pace a little bit so, just to make it sweeter when we come back. Yeah, I
0: mean, like the, the cock butter part is almost a joke of, are we still doing? Is this a different exactly? Joke? That's exactly right. And that that was
1: a happy accident. That's why you, I said cock butter, and then I was like, that's kind of funny. Like a guy with an erection that's butter is funny. And then you realize, why do you keep doing it? It's it, Again, none of them are that great. I'm not here. To, what I'm saying is they, they yeah. all could go. Cock butter could go. Yeah. <laughs> like we don't need it. Yeah, It's fun. And people sure laugh. Like I, I remember that part, like getting some of the biggest laughs of my whole set was like the cock butter mm-hmm. um, planned riff or whatever you <laughs> want to call it. Um, but it's also in service of you're pulling the bow back yeah. and you're going, I want them to forget. That's what all storytelling is, by the way. You know what I mean? Like you watch some new show or a new movie and it's always at the hour and 15 mark where it's like, I forgot about his mother. He's going to go visit his mother. Yeah, That's all it is. I mean, like I'm saying not just Hollywood. Go back to like, telling stories around the campfire, like caveman days, the guy that was good at a story is capable of holding three ingredients, keeping track of two, and at the end, bringing back the third. And you go, oh, oh, weird. You know, like, that's what storytelling is, is is giving the audience time to forget one of the things they told you. And then you go, is this your card? And they go, I don't remember.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So Double Snakes is almost like a, it's a similar joke in abstract, but like it's like a deconstructed version of the first joke. It's like only the sound. Same. It's the same joke. (laughs) Uh, We'll be back with more Pete Holmes after this word from our sponsor. Hey, it's me, Jesse. I just want to take a a quick moment for an ad break. Good One is brought to you by the all-new season of Baskets, premiering Tuesday, January 23rd at 10 p.m. on FX. The critically acclaimed comedy stars Emmy-nominated Zach Galifianakis in dual roles as twin brothers Chip and Dale Baskets and Louis Anderson in an Emmy-winning performance as their mother Christine. Yes, that's right, their mother. All at once a slapstick comedy and a family drama, Baskets follows Chip Baskets' pursuit of his dream against all odds to be a respected clown. See why the San Francisco Chronicle said it was comic genius. Watch the all-new season of Baskets, Tuesdays at 10, starting January 23rd on FX. Now back to the show. We are back with Pete Holmes. I was watching sort of all of your specials in a row, and I, re- I was kind of reminded that you got a lot better between your half, <laughs> between your half hour and your hour, like tremendously better. <laughs> and um, and I was thinking, uh, part of it, which is interesting, because the season of crashing somewhat revolves around you dawning on this idea that your persona is this fun dad, right? Which is sort of the premise in your half hour, but by the time you get to the hour, you really land on the, this is the only universe where you're not a youth pastor. Right. Which is similar, but a little bit more refined (laughs) version of it, or more complicated version of it. Right. Do you think it was... But it's also, it's flirting with the idea of telling the audience that I was religious. Yes. (laughs) You know what I mean? Was it hard for you? Because I realized earlier, you really don't You're not that religious almost at all at the earlier part of your act. Was it hard for you to overcome that or figure out how to do that part of yourself on stage?
1: I think it's super funny that if you look at, like, Kumail, for example, who spends his whole career, and I would would say this if he was here, this isn't a bad thing. Um, In fact, I think it's what he should have done, avoiding talking about being from Pakistan. And then when he gets his break he talks about being from Pakistan. Yeah. <laughs> this is what we do, you yeah. know? I mean, similarly, Aziz didn't talk much about uh, being Indian. But then on Master of None, they did that great episode about his uh, him and his friend's parents being immigrants and whatnot. So at a certain point, you reach a level where you're now almost good enough to talk about the things people wanted you to talk about when you were starting.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, You know, as, as we talked about sort of what makes this... What makes these jokes different than how other people tell the jokes? You can tell a joke about how this person said a funny thing and made me laugh. Mm-hmm. But what makes this sort of a Pete Holmes thing, especially Pete Holmes in 2016, 2017, is you can take this with you. Mm-hmm. This is yours now. So mm-hmm. uh, I guess a way. It's proselytizing. Me, yeah. Yeah. Are you a youth pastor? Yeah. It's like it's, uh, you know, it's somewhat
1: similar. <laughs> I like to think it's, it's um, you know, I joked my mom wanted me to be a youth pastor. And when I became a comedian, she said close enough. And I think that's, that's kind of it. Um, you want to empower people. Ideally, a good pastor wants to empower his congregation to the point where they don't need him. You want everyone to leave feeling better. Very similar skill set. But the best thing that I can say is nobody's sitting around on my end trying to say something. This goes back to what we were saying is like, if you spend all of your time thinking about living in the moment or choosing joy or finding joy or relieving suffering or whatever it might be, that stuff is going to come through. And then I, the spiritual teachers that I relate to are the ones that say, you don't need me. You don't need this. Mm -hmm. It's in you. And that's every movie and that's every show. But it happens to be true. And then that starts to bleed it starts to bleed into the comedy. I hope, but it's not it's not by design. It's just like when you start living that kind of life, ideally it's gonna start bleeding out. That's why you know if you start consuming a lot of garbage, I think that sort of stuff comes out as well. Yeah, we can use the podium of stand up. I think maybe one of the worst things we can do with stand up is just um reiterate what they already know. I see a lot of stand up that says especially guys being like, isn't uh, isn't sex great? Isn't food great? <laughs> isn't sleeping great? But even more dangerous, isn't winning great? Mm-hmm. Isn't it great to be great? Yeah. And like I saw a comedian, it was actually a lady, but she was up there, and again, I don't eat meat, and uh, she was meaning, uh, I'm sorry, but like she's on stage shitting on people who don't eat meat. Yeah. And the punchline was like, you can have your rice and beans, I want a steak. And I was like, Everybody wants to stay. You've done nothing. Yeah, you've done nothing. Everyone was listening. I get really talk about Eugene and following the yeah. anger. I'm like, but again, just as toxic is saying isn't being right great? You know, isn't being smart great? That's very American humor. Yeah, if you look globally, our, our nationally speaking, American humor is. We have the upper hand. We have the last laugh. And yeah. they didn't even try Me, American, me so smart. Me, no drink the pee-pee part. I know that's offensive. That's American humor. Yeah. And I'm all... If you can do a joke about, aren't we all dumb? Aren't we all weak? Don't we all die? Aren't we all scared? But can you do it in a joyful way? Then they're actually... This is uh, bias noted. Yeah. I like what I do. I see a lot of people going up and just... <laughs> nothing happened. We got in the car and we went nowhere. Yeah. And I understand maybe they're on their journey and later they'll get to something more substantial. But uh a lot of comedy is a wasted opportunity, I think.
0: I mean, I I've heard you talk about sort of the, the greatest re- revelation in your adult life you said is the realizing that religion are myths and metaphors. Yeah. Do you th- you know, and you know, as a person essentially this is a story, you're telling a story even though as you said it's not Nothing extraordinary happens. It's pretty simple of a story. Do you think of your stand-up in those terms? Do you think of your comedy in those terms?
1: I think of crashing as a, as a myth a lot of times because we change facts Yeah. For, to, for feeling. Yeah. We're trying to transmit a feeling. For example, my wife leaves me, and then in uh, season one of Crashing, we have a yard sale. And that, to me, is a metaphor, um, meaning I didn't have a yard sale but your life is laid out for everyone to sift through and offer you too little money for it. So your memories mm-hmm. and your feelings are splayed out, and they're cold, and kids don't even want them, and they mean so much to you, and it's going away. That, to me, conveys the feeling better than what actually happened, and that is why I think of crashing as a, as a metaphor, as a, as a myth of sorts.
0: I read somewhere that sort of Donald Trump's most passionate demo is evangelicals who don't go to church anymore?
1: Interesting. Or who don't really? go to
0: really? Yeah. Um what? That's me. Well, I, this is why I'm bringing it up on the podcast. Uh, wow. <laughs> or who don't go to they maybe they think they're going to go to church but, but essentially people who don't go to church and so. who but who consider some consider themselves evangelicals. I angel. wonder if
1: that's like another level of uh disillusionment. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because Trump, if anything, is like the voice of like, "Follow me! <laughs> like I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna break into this Walmart and we're gonna eat cookies." You know, so I could see if somebody's like, even church has let me down, I'm gonna go with this this kind of crazy orangutan. Do
0: you do you think you know? I don't know how you get find these people, but in so much as like, if you, what do you think they think of crashing or your stand up Trump fan? <sighs> Yeah, the sort of this specific demo, regardless of even thinking of them as Trump fans first. I suppose we could vilify this group. Um,
1: my hope is that crashing is enough about pursuing dreams that anybody would have dreams. I'm, I'm. By the way, I'm not saying this to be like, man, I need these numbers. Yeah, this is strictly humanitarian. Mm-hmm. It's like you could have some some stuff in you that you need to work out. You might have some hate. You might or you might have some frustration or some pain, I bet you, I yeah. bet we all do, and honestly, just like my stand up, it's my hope that regardless you could watch a show like this, maybe have some of that pain go away, and maybe even get a little humanity slipped into you while it's happening, but I don't want to, and I know you don't either, I don't want to get caught in the trap of thinking that just because somebody is hurting in such a way that they want. A mm-hmm. blowhard that they actually want a, a bully, yeah that seems so strange to you and I that that makes them this this other that is so far away that I couldn't even imagine them enjoying crashing or any other show yeah. that we love because underneath that that stuff, I have to think there's still a person that of course there is that yeah. that that, <laughs> yeah. that has dreams and and suffers for them yeah and pays for them and that and that's ultimately what the show's about,
0: you know this joke from watching all the things in order feels like a certain sort of culmination or peak or zenith or whatever, you know, and shows in general can sometimes feel like the culmination of a developed persona. Mm -hmm. Uh, Best example, sort of Sarah Silverman program was sort of the end of Sarah Silverman doing that. And obviously she was doing a character. Mm -hmm. You know, in so much as a lot of your act was moving towards something, where are you currently with sort of this version of you doing comedy as this, like, you were sort of it's like I'm a youth pastor, but now I'm a youth pastor, and then you're like, I'm now just that's a, a great youth pastor. Question. Wow, I should pay you for that question. Because that's what <laughs> I Because <laughs> that's what I should be thinking about.
1: And that I guess that is what I will be thinking about moving forward. Because you know, I I wanna get more and more into the space of thinking about deep things and stuff, and I wonder what the continuing hybrid of those would look like. This isn't I don't have this planned out. Yeah. There isn't some like Uh, set I'm going to do that ends with an altar call. (laughs) But I, I am interested in like talking about people are starving. I think it's really interesting that Jim Carrey is like become a philosopher because he's like, nobody, nobody. Okay. And now I guess I'll talk about these things. And I have one of those jobs where people come and they sit down and they listen And that's why I get so worked up about like, we left going, steak is good and sex is good and isn't TV great or aren't movies the best and superheroes, whatever. So I'm interested in like, right now I'm doing more jokes that are literally about consciousness, (laughs) that are literally about the fundamental workings of our bodies. Meaning I have a joke about like checking if you have to pee. And I'm like, everybody do it. Don't answer out loud, but answer the question in your mind. Do you have to pee? And everybody, we check. And then I just make fun of that device. Like, yeah. what just happened? Yeah. And you'd be so surprised because we don't go to church. Any- so many of us don't go to church anymore. And even when we were, my pastor wasn't talking about the phenomena of awareness. Yeah. He, was, he was giving me a story with answers. He was ticking boxes. Yeah. He's going, you're afraid you're going to die? Uh, well, we got that covered. Come back next week and, uh, you know, we'll tell you again. <laughs> Whereas I think in comedy there's an opportunity to really wrestle and play with these things that should be wrestled and played and danced with more than they should be explained away.
0: Uh, all right, so that sound means it's time for our final segment. Uh, it's called the Laughing Round, so it's like a lightning round, but because it's comedy, it's laughing. <laughs> the Laughing. What is the funniest Bible verse?
1: Oh, oh, Hosea. No, not Hosea. There's a ver I can say the verse. I'm pretty sure it's in the book of Hosea. I'm not even sure there is a book of Hosea now that I say that. The ver the verse goes like this. We still love it. Go show love to your wife though she be an adulteress. Just as the Lord your God loves the Israelites though they turn to false gods. And love the sacred raisin cakes. (laughs) It gets better. If you have a study Bible and you follow the footnote down, what is a sacred raisin cake? It's basically sodomy. That's what it means. It means that they love like illicit sex, (laughs) biblically speaking, in their world.
0: If you could sort of be another comedian for a set, so sort of like be riding along their consciousness for a set. Yeah, yeah for 10 minutes an hour whatever you want. Yeah. Who would it who would it be?
1: Reggie Watts. I just want to be that high. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I it would be Reggie Watts. That, that I think if we could all tap into him that would be better for everybody.
0: Uh, do you have a favorite joke, joke? Yes. It's not
1: you're not going to like it though. It's okay. <laughs> I like most of these. Things. Two old ladies were driving in a car. They blow through a stop sign. She goes, Ethel, you blew through a stop sign." Ethel goes, "Am I driving?" <laughs> the other one is long and it ends with the guy with a fork poking his skin going fuck
0: your canoe you can google it Um, this will be the the last one which tends to be my favorite one do you have a joke that you think is funny you'll go to your grave think is funny but never ever have an audience laughed at it
1: oh boy the first one that comes to mind I mean I have dozens but the first (laughs) one that comes to mind is dozens i have dozens it's the new showtime show dozens it's on after billions it's about a guy who's doing okay yeah (laughs) okay (laughs) he's doing pretty bad (laughs) um it's uh it's barely my hi everybody i'm pete holmes some of you may uh be uh recognizing me some of you might be cognizing me for the first time it's barely a joke it only works if it works in print. It's recognizing, recognizing, oh, I see. cognizing me for the first time. It's not even that I think it's funny, but it didn't work. <laughs> I wonder. I bet I have one in my phone.
0: Can I look? Sure. So well, That was good, because I literally didn't know the joke was done when you finished it. That was so bad.
1: Brother, I got one for you. I can't get over laughing that Elon Musk, who invented the self-driving car, when he goes to lunch, picks up little bits of food with a fork. I find this, that the joke is over. I find that hilarious. I think that might be the definition of comedy. And so far it's been my failure that I can't communicate to an audience why that's great. Is that he takes a small metallic pitchfork and goes, The food is too far away. Oh, I'll poke it and break I'm doing Brian Regan. Oh, <laughs> poke it and bring it on my face. That's so funny that he made a car that drives himself and he still has to go, get the peas, get the peas. I'm doing Brian Regan voice to help the joke. That I think is the definition of comedy and no one likes it.
0: That's it for this week and this season of Good One. You can watch Faces and Sounds on HBO Go or HBO Now. The new season of Crashing is currently airing every Sunday on HBO. Follow Pete on Twitter, at Pete Holmes. Good One is produced by Jennifer Lye and Sarah Barrett. Justin D. Wright did our theme song. Write a review and rate the show on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, please. And hey, if you know anyone who might, you know, like the podcast, maybe tell them, what the heck. You can email any comments, questions, or laughing around suggestions to goodonepodcast at gmail.com. I'm Jesse David Fox, and you can follow me at Jesse David Fox. We'll be back in Season 3, but until then and forever have a good one.